I'm Ed Gross, and this is Voices from Krypton, where we speak superhero. And today we're speaking about Superman and Spider-Man, and the moment when the two of them came together in a 1975 crossover comic book event that was nothing less than historic. And to remember what it was all about, how it came together, and its impact, we're turning to Jerry Conway, the man who wrote the script, with art supplied by Ross Andrew. Beyond the crossover, Jerry, who has had extensive roles at both Marvel and DC over the course of his career, reflects on the state of the superhero genre today and provides some insight into both Spider-Man and Superman as characters. A lot of the comic writers, I mean, you're just a writer, but a lot of people who write for comics don't make the transition over to doing something like you do with like writing on TV and that sort of thing and then still work your way back into the comic thing. I don't think so. <laughs> Just when you think you're out, they drag you back in. <laughs> <laughs> that is like, you know, whatever you may think of Godfather three, that is the greatest line ever introduced. I swear. It it's so is. applicable. <laughs> it's applicable in so many ways in your, in, in everyone's life. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we all had it, had that experience of thinking that we put something behind us, but, uh, we, we, you never really do. You can't escape the past. Uh, you know, you can, you can, come to terms with it, but, uh, it's always a part of you. Absolutely. You know, now are you a guy who, even with your history with writing comics and stuff, do you, are you a, a superhero movie TV guy? I mean, cause I'm curious what your view of the state of the genre is right now. Oh, well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of uh, the genre in general. So anything that, uh, expands on it or interacts with it or is influenced by it uh, is something that I'm interested in. Uh, I read, uh, for example, I read uh, the prose novels that come out, you know, not all of them, but you know, I read, I read many of them and uh, I, I see almost all the movies uh, that are based on uh, comics or comic material, um, uh, TV shows. Uh, and, you know, some of them are really, really good. Some of them are really terrible, yeah. uh, but they're all, they're all interesting to me because I, I grew up at a time when um, those options were extremely uh, limited. You know, I mean, uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, the Adventures of Superman TV show uh, was in syndication uh, during my uh, very young childhood. Uh, and I, I loved that show. And then uh, I was really looking forward to the Batman show. And when it came out at the time, I was enormously disappointed because it was treated as a, as a comedy. And, uh, you know, I, I felt offended, you know, because this is <laughs> this was my th these were my books, my characters that I loved. And, uh, you know, they were being made fun of by uh, the grownups. Uh, that's how it felt to me. Interesting. Um, yeah. So. Uh, to me, the the first time that that uh, uh, comics were were treated seriously, for the most part, although even there it was it was camped up a bit, was Superman the movie, right? And uh, that was a revelation. You know, the first hour or so of that film <clears throat> was was everything that I'd ever hoped you know uh, to see in a in a comic book movie. Uh, and now we're just inundated with. Uh, all these different interpretations and uh, variations on, on comic book uh, characters. Uh, so you, know, you can, you can pick and choose among so many different uh, options. It's, uh, it's just great. I, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for a guy who wrote the, a lot of these characters, but for me as a mm -hmm. fan, you know, I, I was born in 60. And so for me as a person sitting there watching like 
Avengers Endgame or on TV Crisis on Infinite Earths, watching all those characters and Brandon Routh is Superman and Tyler Hecklin is Superman. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard to take in, uh, you know, when 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 you when one grows up in a uh, in one kind of cultural uh, environment and then sees transcended by another type of cultural environment it's 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 bewildering you know uh i can i can empathize a little bit with some of the uh more deranged uh elders of of my uh generation you know who are who are offended and and, uh, bewildered by uh the cultural changes in the broader culture um you know I, i can grasp their their sense of dislocation uh uh even though i don't uh, sympathize with it. Right. Uh, it. It is. It is disorienting. You know, uh, when, when when as I say, when I was a kid, you know, or or a young adult, uh, the idea that eventually uh, pop culture would be dominated by uh, superheroes and and uh, comics related, not not just superheroes, but almost every, every form of yeah. comic <laughs> is now represented pop culture. Uh, it's pretty. F- amazing you yep know? absolutely um, and i i i'm flabbergasted honestly you know but I, but i but in a way it sort of makes sense um that uh a field that influenced i mean if you if you if you trace the cultural impact of this over time uh it it's very persuasive that that a field that quote matured in the the 60s and 70s and became uh, started to address adult uh, issues, so that people were no longer embarrassed to be caught reading comics in, say, the 1980s uh, as young adults. Um, those people who started to read those comics in the in the 1980s uh, as young adults are now in a position to make that material. Uh, as full-grown, mature adults in decision-making capacity, yeah. so they are now fulfilling their childhood ambitions. You know, um, and that's that's kind of cool. Oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I you know I look at it now. This is not really superhero related, but I hope you get my analogy here. The thing that to me says where this all became mainstream for me in a lot of ways was a show like The Big Bang Theory, taking mm-hmm. every nerdy thing that there could be embracing right. it and suddenly it became the top show on television. Well, and and that could only happen because there were a sufficient number of people who knew people like that or like that themselves. Right. <laughs> I mean, you could not have done the Big Bang Theory in 1970 because people would not I mean, even though there were obviously nerd nerds back then too. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have a sufficient um uh pervasiveness in the culture that people could relate to it, you know. I mean, even if you don't know a Sheldon, uh, I mean, even if you aren't a Sheldon yourself or a uh, uh, a Yavi, you know, uh, Ravi or, you know, one of the other characters, uh, you know someone like that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And you love them, you know, because they're friends or they're relatives or something else. So, you know, you, there's an affection to it that, um, you know, we, we would not have had at an earlier stage. Absolutely. Uh, Remember, there was a movie called Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, and, yes. And <laughs> uh, uh, you could say that that was kind of the beginning of the turning point. And people didn't realize it, but there was a, there was a truth to that. 
being spoken. You know, uh, that was at the very tail end or the very beginning of the Star Wars era, which really you could mark modern uh, pop culture as taking off uh, uh, and going in a nerd direction with uh, Star Wars, uh, because that that was the first really breakthrough uh, mainstreaming of nerd culture uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. Right. And from that, you know, everything else exploded. And yeah, because Star Wars opened, now that you mentioned it, Star Wars opened those floodgates that, like, if you think yeah. of what happened in the aftermath of Star Wars, there's Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers in the 25th right. century. And, <laughs> and, 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 and Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. Uh, you know, which, which, I mean, Star Trek was revived directly because of the, the success of Star Wars. Right. Um, you know, otherwise there would be no Trek fandom. I mean, there would have been you know, the kind of moderate Trek fandom that existed uh, in, in paperback books, you know, and occasional comics, but there would have been no modern Trek fandom. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just fascinating. No, I it, it, all it is. I also find it fascinating in 76, Philip, Eisen, uh, Philip Kaufman was going to do a Star Trek movie. And uh -huh. on the eve of things going forward, he got a phone call from Paramount saying, we're not doing the project. We don't believe there's a future in science fiction. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Six well, months I, later, I, Star Wars came out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, you have to remember, too, that the, the smart money at 20th Century Fox, the year that, that Star Wars came out, uh, they thought their big science fiction movie was going to be uh, Damnation Alley. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that That's was right. they thought their... Yeah, I mean, Star Trek was uh, Star Wars was uh, you know their their redheaded stepchild. They had very little faith in it, um, and in fact, uh, you know, they they uh, let Lucas keep the, the, the merchandising rights because they didn't think it was worth anything. Well, the sequel and the sequel rights too. Yeah, exactly. You look uh, at that now; it's the, like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, the, there are a lot of idiot decisions. I mean, Roy Thomas and I came up with a. Uh, uh, one of our best uh, uh, film ideas um, in, uh, uh, let's see, what was it, 1984, we pitched a, a movie and sold the movie uh, to a company called Interscope that then brought it to 20th Century Fox uh, to be developed as a film. Uh, and the initial response of the, uh, of the top guy at Fox uh, because our, our, our premise was, was, uh, it was a time travel, uh, premise. Uh, he said, Oh, well, nobody, nobody, uh, is interested in time travel. Movies. <laughs> uh, in 1984, the two biggest science fiction movies of the year were Star Trek four, uh, the journey, the journey home, mm -hmm. uh, which is a time travel movie. And of course, Terminator. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> also a time travel movie. So these people literally knew nothing, you know, and, and consistently, got it wrong uh <laughs> so and 1985 gave us what back to the future hello back to the future yes <laughs> actually my my um my um uh agent when when he heard this you know called the executive to say you know well wait a minute you know steven spielberg's next picture is a time travel movie right and uh, the executive said well spielberg can do that and, <laughs> and the, my agent's response was yes because he doesn't have to deal with idiots like you <laughs> <laughs> that's great what a great answer that is yeah yeah needless to say our movie was not made right uh <laughs> <laughs>
That's a great story. Anyway, I mean, though, I, I, yeah, you know, but you know, bitterness is uh, is is uh, the, the currency of Hollywood. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that I know. That I know. You know, I look at well, one of the things I want to talk to me that you've written uh, is that I look at if you know, I'm going back to the Marvel movies for a second. I look at Infinity War. I look at Endgame. I I remember the battle on Titan in Infinity War between Iron Man and Spider-Man and Thanos and Doctor Strange and, and mm-hmm. Star-Lord. And I'm watching this battle play out and I'm, and, and I'm like a child watching it, thinking to myself, this is such an incredible thing of, of, of bringing worlds together, you know, and bringing it to life. What I wonder is, and this may be a leap, I don't know. <laughs> when you brought the worlds together of Superman and Spider-Man in mm. 73, how big a deal 70, was 75, it? 75, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I forget. Uh, how big a deal was it? Because I remember being pretty blown away as a teenager. Oh, it, it was a huge deal. Uh, I mean, it was, it was inconceivable. It was one of those things where before it happened, you could never have imagined that it would happen. Um, because the two companies were so, um, so antagonistic to each other, uh, just as corporations and as publishing entities, you know, and had such contempt for, uh, I'm talking at the highest levels, not necessarily the creators, because the creators, for the most part, you know, were perfectly willing to go back and forth between the two. Um, but but the, the, the mindset, the corporate mindsets of both companies were so dismissive of each company's uh, uh, creative direction that it, <laughs> you know, like, how do you put these two together? Uh, it came about because, uh, uh of, of one guy who, uh, uh, was an agent, uh, uh, and was Stanley's agent uh, or wanted to be Stan's agent and proposed it as a, as a, as a concept, you know, to, to do. And, and Stan's attitude was, well, sure. If you can get DC to agree, you know, sure. That makes, makes it would be great fun. Uh, and, and he managed to get them to agree because he was a really good agent. But creatively, the, the notion of bringing those two, two together was just, uh, there was no way to rationalize it, you know, from my point of view, other than getting so nerdy and, and weird that it, it would have interfered with the fun of it. Um, so you just you just sort of try to be a fanboy and say, what would you like to see? <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of how you approach it. And what did you want to see? I mean, obviously, I've read the comic. I have it. Uh, well, so what I put I, down there. <laughs> you put what you down there. But 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 I wonder if there's a way to verbalize the thing, the elements that you sort of, I don't mean story points specifically, but the essence well, of what you were see. trying to do. Yeah, I think what I wanted to see was, I mean, a level playing field uh, between Superman and Spider-Man, but also a, an acknowledgement of the strengths of each character's uh, particular uh, uh, universe, you know, and, and storytelling. Uh, I mean, you want to see a story that, that has the fun of a Marvel comic uh, in the interplay of characters and, and uh, the, the way that those characters confront each other. Um, and at the same time has a, an overarching, uh, DC type plot, uh, where there's a, um, uh, you know, a villain who has a, uh, agenda that, uh, involves lots of, uh, pseudoscience and tech 
um, and has to be outsmarted, you know, in the end. Uh, so those those are the elements that I perceived as uh, essential to uh, to a, to a combination of those those books. You know, I, I, in a way, it's sort of a meta uh, kind of thing where you're where you're trying to to do something that that operates, you know, on two different levels and observes both levels. Um, I don't know that I was necessarily fully conscious of that, but that was. That was ultimately the uh, the approach that both Ross and I took right. uh, to do like a to do a Marvel version of Superman and a DC version of Spider Man and uh, be true to both, you know, at the same time to their inherent qualities at the same time. Right. Hey, look, I, I love them. I've always loved the moment towards the end where Luthor is planning on the destruction of Earth and Doc Ock is like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? We live there. You know, exactly. <laughs> that yeah. was almost yeah, the I mean, it, those two dynamics, you know, Marvel DC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because I mean, in DC, the, you know, DC was the, 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 uh, planet destroying, uh, uh, perspective, you know, I mean, that they, they're, they're the ones who could do a cover of Superboy standing on his, uh, you know, standing on his head, you know, remember that famous, uh, Superboy cover? Uh, in which he's in Smallville and he's like doing a handstand and everybody's going, what's he doing? What's, what's happening? Well, what he's doing is pushing the earth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, which is just so ludicrous, but you know, it's, it's the essence of the DC worldview. There's that, that, that when they, when, when their characters interact with the world, it is world shaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the Marvel version of that, you know, is, uh, what's happening down the street, you know, (laughs) what's. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, not uh, not the the cosmic Spider-Man. I always felt that that was a direction that Marvel went uh, uh, that took them out of the the uh, relevance, uh, you know, the the, the the character relevance of the uh, the '60s, and made them more like DC. Uh, and that was like the shooter influence, you know, in the uh, '80s. Uh, the more epic storytelling rather than yeah, the personal yeah, story, rather than the personal storytelling. I, for me, Spider-Man always works best uh, as a uh, local teenager, you know, dealing with uh, crappy personal problems. Uh, when when he started being a cosmic Avenger, you know, or all these other variations that have that have come along over the years, I, I, it just weakens the character and makes him less interesting to me, you know, but that's me, you know, and obviously readers have their own uh, response to this over time. You know, you know, what I thought was a very, again, I'm going back to the movies. I'm sorry, but infinity war where Spider-Man or Peter Parker says to uh, Tony Stark, uh, when Stark is like, you shouldn't be here. I don't want you here. And he goes, what's the point of being a, uh, you know, a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. That exactly. at least rationalizes why suddenly yeah. Spidey is leaving Queens. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I mean that's all very well and good. You know, and 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 if you're going to if you're going to move some I mean if, when you're dealing with 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 films, you're dealing with epic crises, right. you know, uh there there's nobody goes to, I mean they do, obviously. They will go see a movie that's just simply about a heist, a superhero heist like Ant-Man. Um and they will, you know, uh, enjoy a, a film like that. But you won't get 
the billion dollar audience that uh, justifies a two hundred million dollar investment, um, you know, you have to you have to find some kind of uh, uh, stakes that that uh, are sufficiently large, you know, and, right. yeah, for the most part. I mean, a film like Joker proves that you don't necessarily have to have large stakes to get a billion dollars, but for the most for the most part, you do. That's you the know? rarity, right? right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't go, you don't go to Disneyland uh, uh, just to just to walk down Main Street. You know, you go to Disneyland <laughs> to get to get in. Uh, you know, on on Space Mountain or something equivalent. Absolutely. Um, so. You know, that one shot you did, the, the Super Inspiring, obviously they did more crossovers after that. But mm-hmm. at the time, was that considered it? Like, we're doing this once and we're done. Yeah, I think yes and no. I mean, there there was always the, held out as the possibility that if this does really well, you know, we, we'll probably revisit it. But realistically, you had to be thinking that this was your one shot. Um I didn't expect there to be another chance because I knew the animosity of the companies was uh, uh, really going to be very hard to overcome. And, and certainly, you know, subsequent um, uh, 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 crossovers proved that that to be the case, you know, as, as they became more and more, the, the acrimony became more and more intense, especially uh, under Shooter. Um you know, to the point where they actively sabotaged uh, the uh, what was supposed to be the JLA JSA uh, JLA Avengers crossover. Um, so you know, it, you you have to approach these things as, as a one shot, uh, and hope that you do whatever it is that you you wanted to uh, to do in that story. Right. What is your view of the two characters? I mean, you know, what was the appeal for you of them? Well, for me, Spider-Man is an everyman who gets superpowers. Um, and as the everyman, he, he he's the ultimate expression of the Marvel uh, concept, as it was articulated by Stan in the 60s, which is superheroes are just people uh, like, like you and I uh, with a grander scale that they operate on. Uh, but their but their problems are the, the problems of human human condition. So that that's Peter Parker. That's I, I mean I always refer to Spider Man as Peter uh, because to me that's who he is. You know, and, and Spider Man is what he does. Uh, Superman, on the other hand, is is much more of a uh, uh, a symbolic character. You know, he's he's a, he's an a, a aspirational character. Uh, he's the best of us. You know, the, what we would love to be. If we could be the best of us, um, that's why I hated Zack Schneider's take on the character, yeah. because it, it it diminished the aspirational quality of uh, of, of Superman uh, and sort of missed the entire point. You know, it's yeah. like you couldn't you couldn't have aimed at something and, and gotten so far off uh, without having no clue about what it was that, that you were doing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the, the struggle that a lot of uh, modern writers have with the character um, is that they fundamentally don't. And, and that's, a, again, a cultural issue. This is why maybe Superman doesn't really work anymore as a, as a, uh, 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 a popular character. Um, he, in, a, in a way, the ultimate expression of him as a character 
was the Superman the movie uh, from 1976 or 77, whatever it was. 78, yeah. Uh, 78. So, yeah, I think it was made in 77, it mm-hmm. came out in 78. And th- the notion there was that this was an answer to the despair of uh, Watergate and to the, uh, the despair of the, of, uh, the Vietnam War and uh, the feelings of alienation you know, that, that people were feeling. Here, came this, here comes this aspirational character that basically says it's, it, it is possible to be a good guy, you know, that it is possible to, you know, I mean, there's that wonderful interview with uh, Lois and uh, Superman where she's like cynical reporter thinking, you know, this guy's full of shit. Right. And he's just totally sincere. You know, he really does believe that people are inherently uh, good, that, that, that life can be, you know, that you can do good. And that uh, her, her arc in that story, you know, of going from cynical to, to believing is really what was, what, what was the, the emotional essence of that film. Um, and I think that's a character that is a valid approach, but it's totally unrealistic, you know, in a sense that Peter Parker is realistic, if, if there's any realism to it. Uh, the idea of, of someone being able to maintain that completely uh, optimistic and, and hopeful view of, of humanity, uh, you almost have to be a Christ figure, you know, a, a, a messianic figure, which is what Superman you know, ultimately is, uh, to, be, to be credible. And I don't think there's enough, uh, there is enough feeling among writers and creators today uh, that, of people who believe in that, uh, to be able to embody it uh, in their stories uh, and, and present it in their stories. So that's why people have had a hard time uh, uh, creating Superman stories uh, that ring true and also why readers have a hard time responding. You know, because they just don't, they, they don't, there's no reason for Superman to exist if he doesn't represent this kind of aspirational uh, messianic hope. Right. But see, and it's so funny. It's like, because I was like you with Man of Steel and then Batman v Superman. The guy looked constipated anytime he had to do something with his powers, right? Anytime he had to save yeah. somebody, it was yeah. just like. Well, I mean, the message he got from his father, you know, I mean, the, 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 uh, the the care I mean both fathers you know but but the the one that raised him uh, was you should hide your power you know you should right. you, people are not trustworthy people are bad they will use you badly you know let the kids die I mean Jesus Christ what the hell is wrong with Zack Snyder <laughs> as a human being that that's his that that's his worldview and and uh, you know just ah oh, just so bad. And so wrong. I mean, so completely off. Um, no, I, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing good to say about it. No, but even, you know what's so funny is, a, no, he, he's dark, it's cynical. Even, you know, Justice League with the reshoots from Joss Whedon, at least as bad as the movie is, you know, there's no story, there's no villain and stuff. But at least he got Superman right. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he came back, it sounded yeah. like, oh, that's Superman. Yeah. I mean, you could say that, you know, having been raised from the dead, you know, changed him to some degree. But even there, you know, he's, he's struggling against the material that already existed. Right. Um, I just I just found that whole experience to be so disheartening. Uh, I mean, Wonder Woman embodied. And, and the reason that movie was successful 
to my mind, was because she embodied what Superman is supposed to be. Right. And what all those, what all the DC characters ultimately are, uh, aspirational characters, not uh, not realistic characters. I mean, the, the 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 quote most realistic of the DC characters is probably uh, Bruce Wayne, and in a way, he's also extremely aspirational. You know, the idea that you can take uh, uh, a, a trauma and turn it, you know, into a uh, uh, turn it to good rather than to bad. Uh, you know, that's that's an aspirational notion too. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's so funny. It's like, I, and I know what you're saying about people having trouble with it, the character and stuff. There were two instances, and this is TV, so I don't know about that. I'm not as tight with the comics, you know, reading the comics as I used to be. Um, but there's a moment they brought this guy, Tyler Hecklin, in as Superman mm -hmm. on Supergirl. And in his first episode, there's these drones threatening a father and his kids firing lasers from the sky. Superman lands, raises his cape up to block them, turns around, he visions the thing till it explodes, right? And the kids mm -hmm. cheer. And what does he do? He looks at the kids, he winks, and mm -hmm. then he takes off. Yeah. That's a world of difference from... Yeah, absolutely. That, I, I mean, they get it. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why the CW is much better at it. I mean, I, if, if I were if I were uh, Warner Brothers, I would just hand over yeah. the DCEU to... The, to um, Greg Berlanti uh, and those guys. Greg Berlanti. Yep. Um, but, you know... Whatever. <laughs> I know. I, no, Brothers, and I hear you. But I don't get Warner Brothers at all. I believe me. Every decision now they're going to have AI make their decisions for them. Did you read that? Oh, they're so hopeless. It's I mean, like, really? As a company, they they are. It's for for a major company that that, that never don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I do wish their way th yeah. through most of their decision making over the last forty years. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, it's really crazy. Then when I read that AI thing, it's like, really? Do you think that's going to be any better off than what you're doing already? Please. Well, I mean, it might be better off in the sense that you know, at least it, it at least, you know, it, it's uh, it won't be these incompetence making the <laughs> that's decision. True. That's uh, true. But you know, you you might as well just roll dice and and get as good a result. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely. You know. Now, have you watched Crisis or no? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So yeah, I like it. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, but yeah. Brandon Routh showing up in costume, not only accompanied yeah. by the John Williams theme, but that bit in one of the episodes where they say, why is the black in the emblem? And he goes, well, the red is the hope rising from the darkness. Right. And that guy, that character, if you remember the show, has been mm -hmm. through a lot of darkness. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that happened. Lois got killed. Everybody got killed by the Joker. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I just find it like you, people say you can't write the guy, but you can write the guy if you just take yeah, the time absolutely. to write them. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, they, they get, I mean, look, they're, they're, one great thing about, uh, the CW shows is that the people who do them are all comic book fans. Right. Uh, you know, and they, 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 uh, and they're old school comic book fans. They're, they're you, you, most of them are people like Jeff Johns, you know, who, who became comic book fans back in the eighties as kids. Um, so their, uh, their influences are, uh, pre, um, to an extent pre Miller, you know, uh, pre, uh, Batman, uh, uh, dark Knight, uh, and, and that dark era of the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, oh, very that dark. Really, yeah. yeah. That really, I think destroyed DC, uh, uh, DC's ability to 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 express 
their characters uh, as aspirational. Absolutely. You know, as, as a writer creator for yourself, when you see characters like Cheetah coming to Wonder Woman 1984 and the Punisher, of course, has taken on a life of its own in so many ways. And the other characters you've created, actually created that are showing up. What's your feeling about that? I mean, and again, I may be sounding too fanboy by asking that question, but I just wonder what it's yeah. like to see these characters come to life for you. Well, it's always fun and, and surreal. You know, I mean, with the Punisher in particular, uh, that who knew? <laughs> right. so, I, I, and I also uh, didn't have much contact with the character during the major part of his development of a pop culture uh, figure. So, you know, I, 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 I initiated him and put him out there with uh, Ross Andrew and John Romita. Um, and then other uh, creators, uh, you know, took him and ran with him. Uh, taking the basic framework of the character and developing it and putting meat on the bones, but it is it it is surreal. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's a notion that uh, uh, you know you 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 tell these stories initially just for yourself, you know, and you do them because you want to see them uh, and you want to read them. You know, that's that's at least my motivation. The motivation of a lot of creators is. That we have, we, we do these things to to entertain ourselves, with the hope that by doing that we're reaching an audience of similar-minded people. Um, and then the idea that forty years later, you know, they've become uh, pop uh, pop icons is just it's surreal. You know, it's sort of like uh, uh, as my wife says, uh, you know, it's 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 amazing that things that you did as, as a kid, you know, are, uh, 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 benefiting you now as a, you know, as a senior citizen. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's, that's a nice, nice. It's the past dance, catching yeah. up with you in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Now do you get, I mean, I'm not trying to get personal here, but do you get something when they do a Punisher movie or a TV show or something? Or? Uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not unhappy with the way I'm treated, you know? Okay. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny when I watched the end of you saw Spider-Man far from home, right? Mm -hmm. At the end, when Spider-Man's announced as a killer and all that stuff, the first thought that popped in my head is, Oh my God, Marvel's got the rights to the Punisher back. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that, that would be a a very interesting storyline, you know, Uh, I don't know where they're going to go, but, but one thing I do appreciate about how they're, how they're approaching their, their uh, uh, characters is that they're letting them, develop over time you know they're not trying to 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 stop them in a in a given moment you know uh the the difference between where peter parker is at the end of uh homecoming and where he is at the end of far from home is substantial and where he will be in the next movie you know uh will be substantial because you know it'll be several years further on you know and he'll have changed Right. Uh, and and they are they are willing to let let that happen is is a really good thing. You know, it's different from the way that uh, uh, you know, say historically, the James Bond movies have always reset Bond as uh, back to square one at the end of each movie. You know, except for the Daniel Craig era, where they they did try to build a through line. You know, a story uh, through line. Right. Um, you mean very little but, continuity between those those movies, those right, previous bonds. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but now uh, with the Craig movies, there is continuity. Right? Yeah. And of course, once once he's 
he leaves, they'll reboot and reset. Um, but that's a that's a not a bad thing, you know. It's uh, for, for that uh, type of uh, storyline. Mm-hmm. So the, to the extent that Marvel keeps Spider-Man in the MCU, or that Sony allows him to keep him in the, the MCU, that's a that's a really cool development for that character. Oh yeah, um, and we'll see. You know, I mean, it would be nice if they brought the Punisher in, but you know, uh, they're PG-13 movies, and I think the Punisher has to be a, 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 P, a, a an R-rated character. So um, I doubt that we'll see him in uh, in uh, a Spider-Man movie. Fine, Craven the Hunter. Then I don't care whatever. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so so what you know? Oh, and Ms. Marvel—that's another one. We I just wanted to mention briefly is now Ms. Marvel has been transformed into Captain Marvel, of course, and now there is a Ms. Marvel who's going to be a new TV star. So there's a lot yeah. happening. I mean, with that that whole stuff. Um, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's uh, you know I was more of a midwife on that character than a, than a creator. Uh, you know, Carol uh, Danvers was created by Roy Thomas, and Captain Marvel, of course, was created by Stanley and. Uh, uh, Gene Colan. Um, so when you, you know, my, my contribution was giving her creep powers. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was my contribution. Well, um, that, that stuck and, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I, th- but I, th- I think of that more as a, a character that uh, was really defined by Kelly Sue DeConnick, uh, you know, in her run. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, to, to the extent that, that, that I have anything, I'm more like a, a you know, a, gra- a grandfather than a, than a creator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's nothing wrong. Grandpas are well-loved, so that's good. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy. We hope you enjoyed this installment of Voices from Krypton. Please subscribe, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.